What's going on? This is the Saturday Night South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, great show lined up. Great, great show. Slight audible. Um, originally, we'll peel behind the onion here. We were supposed to have Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt on, but that got bumped back to April ahead of the NFL draft. A little bit of a miscommunication with the uh, Super Bowl situation out there uh, in Arizona, but we will hopefully be able to have them on. I know we've already had Hyatt on, but uh, when I said A-list guests, T-Bob is an A-list guest. I'm going to say T-Bob's A-list 100% of the time. So it's not that he is not A-list. It's that we were supposed to have even more A-list guests on. So yes, we will be joined by our great friend T-Bob Bear, who was uh, he was on one today. Just, just absolutely on one. Look forward to that great interview coming up, talking a bunch of LSU things. We've got a Super Bowl edition of Bold and Brash. And we're going to break down my favorite offseason metric. So good show. Good show nonetheless, despite the fact that, yeah, Little little bit of a last minute change of plans, but that's fine. We just roll Listen, with it. That's how you we guys go. are going to have a hundred percent ratio of being yelled at by big Cajun today. So enjoy that. Love it. Yes, we got we got two big Cajuns on. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Will. The most intriguing off season metric there is in college football. I'm going to tell the people and what explain. is it? The hydration to greatness metric. It, it's close. That's up there. Are we talking Tom Herman, like oh, yeah. the, the piss chart? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> look, it made a lot of sense. Yes, you could say, I could say piss. We're fine. <laughs> David, if David Pollock can say piss on Disney Airwaves, I can say piss on this podcast. All right. Okay. And David Pollock, who doesn't curse, like we're good. We're good. Okay. Um, okay. If you've ever listened to an offseason pod of the Saturday Down South podcast, or maybe you've only listened to a couple, maybe this is your first season with us, but either way, you know or you will know that I reference Bill Connolly's percentage of returning production a lot. Oh yeah. I don't use it as a, this team is going to the playoff metric. Uh, I reference it for setting expectations of regression versus progression. That's the key thing right here. We're talking rare for a team to suck when they bring everybody back rare for a team to suck when they bring everybody back. If you do bring everybody back and you suck, that's probably an indictment of who you are as a head coach. And the numbers kind of reflect that. And it's not a perfect science, but there is a lot of merit to it. If you've read this article and you've bookmarked it every single year, like I do, like, Bill used to be at SB Nation as well. So I think he's been doing this since at least like 2016, I want to say. Yeah. Like it's 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 been a while. And it's one of those things that once it comes up in the offseason and then when the updated numbers come up, I look at all that too. Uh it's an ESPN plus deal now. So um I, I usually kind of push back on talking about payroll content and just payroll content in general. SaturdayDownSouth.com is a free website. Um, but I do believe this is actually premium content because it goes beyond just the simple, oh, how much. How many starters does a team have back? You can get that from a lot of places. If you want to open up your Phil Steele magazine, if you want to go to just, you know, basic ESPN.com or whatever, like you can get returning starters in a lot of different places. And that's not to say that, that doesn't have merit, but you can fudge the returning starter numbers a bit if you have a bunch of injuries and say, well, this guy started four games and he's a returning starter. It's like, well, I don't know. Is he like, do we count Connor Wigman as a returning starter? I don't know. I guess, but. I never know when we just see that raw number returning starters because it can be a little bit all over the place. I would go as far as say there are two pieces I look for every year. It's this one and then Sando's QB tiers where he uh, interviews mm. all the executives. I think those two are the definition of premium content every year. I am glued to those when they come out. 
Sando talks to, I think, 50 people for that column. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That is a beast. People who don't understand like the editorial process, like the back end of it. There are people who don't even talk to 50 people for a documentary and, and 50 people for a column is insane. And that's why it is like, it is must read. I agree hundred uh, percent. But yes, percentage of returning production. It, it sort of skirts around the whole like returning starters thing because it's all right. Who who actually did stuff for you the previous year? And that includes offensive line starts. That's really the only way you can kind of value offensive line play in this metric. But obviously there's some weight to, to quarterbacks, the way that they produce all those things. So you might also say, well, if you're returning production from a team that wasn't very good, is that a good or a bad thing? 2021 LSU, my boy. <laughs> they brought that whole terrible line back. And I was like, why are we excited about this? And Logan, they were horrible again. Yes. If you are returning production from a team that's bad uh, and that's seen as troubling, if you're not excited about that, to me, that's more of a sign that your coach probably isn't develop- developing players very well. Or I guess in this era with, with the, the transfer portal, he's probably going to need to get to the portal to be able to get some guys who you actually feel good about. Speaking of the portal and the way that it impacts this, it is factored into it on both sides. So for example, like Spencer Sanders transfers from Oklahoma state to Ole Miss, his 2022 production actually helps Ole Miss's offensive returning production. And it's actually not as big of a factor as one might think the transfer side of it for teams who add a ton of players from the portal, because it's not like teams are usually adding 12 FBS starters to their team. You know, it's a little bit more of like, okay, here and there, and it can help you. And it'll help some of these teams post spring when Bill redoes some of the numbers. And then that gets factored into it as well. So that's part of it. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. Continuity in the passing game, both on offense and in the secondary with passes defense are what Connolly has has found to be the most valuable and he puts the most weight into that. Returning an entire offensive line will, like you said, it doesn't always mean what you think it does. And I'm guilty of that too. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, South Carolina's offensive line, they bring four starters back. Surely they'll be better. Well, South Carolina's four starters are a little bit different than Arkansas's four starters. So we can't right. value that in the same sort of way. But obviously that is something that's difficult to figure out. Also, Returning a running back, not deemed as particularly valuable. That's not to say it isn't tough to replace some of these guys. And there are some guys from the SEC, a certain Chris Rodriguez, a certain Devon A-Chain, who, in my opinion, they will be tough to replace. But we're just talking about this as a whole and running backs not necessarily being factored into the percentage of returning production. So that means quarterback, or if you're having turnover at quarterback, pass catchers, and you have turnover in the secondary as well on defense. That can be really difficult to overcome. Whereas turnover on the offensive line, the defensive line, and running back are easier to overcome. You ideally want to be above, and this is what Bill has kind of factored into these numbers. You would like to be above 60% of your returning production on offense and teams who return 85% or more of their defensive production are much more likely to improve year to year. So this year, here's where SEC teams rank nationally in percentage of returning production. AM is seventh in the country. Mizzou is ninth. Auburn is 28th. Ole Miss is 30th. LSU is 32nd. Vandy is 58th. 
Tennessee is 69th. Kentucky is 73rd. Georgia is 80th. Mississippi State is 91st. South Carolina, 102nd. Arkansas, 106. Florida, 107. And Bama pulling up the rear at 125. And by the way, ultimate good vibes team, Florida State, number one in the country in percentage of returning production. 87% of last year's production back from a 10-win team. That is why they're the ultimate good vibes team. Mike Norvell getting an extension as well. So what does that tell us? What does all that tell us? There's some takeaways from that. There's some takeaways that I want to be able to get into here. I think the first kind of obvious one that jumps out, a number seven overall with 80% of last year's production back. And I'd argue that, like I said before, biggest, biggest loss, Devon Aching, which as we outlined just couple seconds ago you can over you can overcome turnover at running back if i had a nickel for every a&m fan in my mentions after tweeting out just the sec rankings i would have been rich i tweeted this out and it got the old billy lucci retweet because a&m was you know it's good staff for a&m it's good staff all these a&m fans said the same exact thing too it was weird it was like uh, we got some bots in here we definitely got some bots (laughs) With some of the the quote tweets that we were getting, the they would say mo- the oil money bot forms are coming through. They're trying to they try to take over the narrative. I don't know, man. They would always say, but the media told me that the Aggies lost their entire team to the portal. If I had just been able to pull the people in my mentions that the A and M fans in my mentions for that tweet, um, and if I had just been able to ask them, true or false, it was the media's fault that A and M went five and seven last year. Uh, I bet at least sixty percent of those people would have said true. I feel good about that. I do. They were, the bots were, they were popping, man. They really were. I want to really quick go back to your transfers point because I think that was a real like gem in there, which is that, you know, we talk about these transfers and we get so excited about these transfers. And this is the one that I think LSU was the number one team in the country for this. So I can't actually speak on this. Is that LSU had nobody in the roster. They had 37 players and they brought in all these transfers. But out of their production, you know what I'm saying? Like neighbors was on the roster. Their whole running back stable because our boy Noah Kane did not do too well last year. Most of like the action, obviously Jaden Daniels, huge impact. You know what I'm saying? Um, but when you talk about, you know, offensive line, starting two freshmen, uh, the defensive backfield had some new guys, but like that was like the apex, apex, apex team that turned it all around through the portal. When you look at like an Alabama or like it, even like a higher tier, like power five team that gets up a transfer guy, how often is that guy starting most of the games? Because even Makai Wingo wasn't supposed to be a starter. He was supposed to be on the depth chart, then somebody got hurt and he became a starter. But that's a really good point about AM, where it's like, oh, we lost everybody to the portal. It's like, no, no. The slander is you brought in this recruiting class that didn't want to be there and they're all leaving. Those freshmen were not starters outside of like Wigman, who again is the returning starter. Um, but who's the receiver? Uh, Stewart. Evan Stewart. He was a starter. He was a freshman. He's not leaving. Like, so point being like the guys that are good enough to actually start. That's why I love this metric for not, and just not dudes that get reps here and there, because a lot of those transfers are not as impactful as you think when it comes to starting and finishing football games. Anm had 27 players hit the portal. 27 that last, last I checked, which was a couple weeks ago. So that number might be even higher. That's a ton. That's a lot. Right. But the this the class from last year, the historic 2022 class that you brought up, five players who were top 100 recruits nationally, they're gone. Seven players who were four or five star recruits from that class, they're gone. Did they? One of them starting at LSU next year. Speaking of both both narratives, yeah, very true. So like those guys, you know, we we had a couple of contributors in that group, but 
Not exactly a ton. So that's not necessarily going to hurt you in that way. And so it brings us a question about AM. Is it good or bad that they return the most production in the SEC, even though it was from a five and seven team? I'd say it's mostly good. I'd say like the last time that happened, and this is another thing AM fans of my mention were bring AM fans of my mentions were bringing up. Uh, that happened in 2020. And after that, look, they had a great year. They had a great year. And they it very much helped them that they kept that offensive line healthy. They had such great continuity with the Maroon Goons. And that was kind of the preamble for this only season under Jimbo Fisher that has significantly surpassed expectations. But does that mean AM is about to double its win total and have a 10 and 2 season just because of all of that returning production? No, no, but it does suggest Jimbo Fisher doesn't have any excuses. I don't want to hear about depth issues from injuries, which we heard about last year. I don't want to hear about coaching changes, especially when you didn't lose your DC like you did last season. I don't want to hear you complain about a young quarterback when you got all that continuity on the offensive line. And now with Anaya Smith somehow being able to return, you've got three solid targets with Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad. If AM doesn't make the biggest jump in terms of year-to-year win total, they better among SEC teams. If they don't, Jimbo Fisher will have failed this group. I think we can say that with certainty. That is the expectation for this group. It doesn't mean that he's about to just get $76 million to go chill on his ranches. That's not happening. We're, we're not saying that. We're not Jimbo Fisher hot seat people. We're not because the notebook says that contract is what it is. And the notebook ain't going anywhere anytime soon. It's not. We'll just laugh at him much louder and be totally justified in doing that. Because exactly to your point, there is no action to be taken. We can just laugh. That's all we yes. can do here. Exactly. Exactly. But it means for this perceived championship window, which this is supposed to be the beginning of the championship window for AM. That, that's that's what we were talking about when this 2022 class came in. Uh, that door is slamming shut in a hurry if we do not see major, major bounce back potential from AM this season. Fair expectations for AM. Will. Yeah. 100%. No, I, th- I think you're right. The thing about Jimbo is he kind of has a little bit of that. Uh, whenever I covered Steve Clifford, in Orla- Steve Clifford in Orlando, a reference lots of people understand. They both have very similar like vibes as far as they love like veteran leadership, upperclassmen. So Jimbo had to play freshman last year because guys were hurt. You guys heard it all. You were there for it. But it seems like these teams do kind of come in waves because once Jimbo trusts a guy, that's his guy. And that guy is going to be there. But once that guy leaves, you got to get a new guy. And so it's not like you have these like little patchwork teams that are like some freshmen, you know, it's like this, this one will be a little bit, but I do think I'm not going to drink the Kool-Aid. I'm not going to believe in Texas A&M, but this is how Jimbo wants to build a team. He wants to build guys that are in the system. Sure. Okay, they're learning. And Grant, you bring in Petrino, you know, you weirdly, you move forward by bringing in Petrino, which think about that for a second, no, but no. You, you bring in Petrino. And so maybe, you know, new playbook, but to your point, you have two coordinators who you have stolen from other jobs. It's not like these guys were sitting on their couches and you called them up and said, please come coach my football team. You said, no, no, I want who I want. And I'm going to spend whatever it takes to get them. So to your point, you have these guys who have been in the system. You have these two coordinators you got your literal pick of the litter i think you know it's, it's all we could do is give fair expectations to these type of teams yeah no there there is no reason that this team eight and four should be the floor with everything that we've set and anything less than that is in my opinion wildly disappointing and what does eight, eight and four really get you i guess back to the same place that you were it's it's possible to have an outlier year like that like Notre Dame did in what was that 2016, I think with Kelly. Mm-hmm. 
And we've seen teams just have that one random off year where it's just like, it's just not there. And then it's just a disaster. And then you bounce back and you're fine. AM's obviously in a different situation in terms of what their ceiling has been, their perceived ceiling has been, and how how unsustainable that has looked for them year to year. The other end of the percentage of returning production spectrum, Bama's at 125 right now. Saban has been pretty active in the portal um, late in the spring. So that number's going to change. I, I think that's going to happen again. I really do. Uh, it's been mostly a, a one-way street with the portal and the way that it's set up so far. But uh, that number's not going to change that drastically. It, it's not. It, it kind of is what it is. It's also not factoring in having two coordinator changes and say what you will about them. That That is a change, and it does take some adjusting, even if it is an upgrade in the end. But it also doesn't necessarily totally factor in just how good Bryce Young and Will Anderson were and oh, yeah. the production loss. I mean, that saying saying they lost this production from those two players, it just kind of scratches the surface for me in terms of how valuable they were. So that's just kind of part of this. So let's set the, let's set the stage a little bit here. If Saban... With all of these unknowns and that much turnover, if he can win a national title with a team that currently ranks 125 in FBS in percentage of returning production, I think it'd be the greatest single season feat of his career. I really do. The best in-game, in-season adjustment, whatever, you know, Jalen Hurts going to a national championship, that that will never be taken from Saban. That's an all-time coaching move at any level of football. Um, but given where Georgia's at right now, given what LSU is currently building, this is up against a different set of circumstances than in the past when Bama has had to overcome this very low number of percentage of returning production, which I'm going to get to in a second here. But is that a fair thing to say? Are you okay with that? Yeah, you're only, I mean, obviously, obviously them going like undefeated till the championship in 08 after like being a very mid team in 2007 was pretty impressive, but you know, that's just kind of like growing pains had to get all the losers off the roster. Right. And then in 2011, I'm looking back at that, the fact that 2010 was kind of a mid season for them. I mean, people say that was the worst Bama team other than 07. And the fact that they reeled off two straight after that, I think was impressive. But to your point, they had Kirby smart. And I think that having that type of stability and having a, dude who's obviously a very good coach, you know, having Scott Cochran, having these guys around, this is a completely new regime for Nick Saban. Obviously a lot of the procedural guys are still around. I'm sure there will be several random interns that were former FBS coaches, not saying poor little Bama, but I do think your point about new coordinators and, and I know you said you're going to talk about this, but it's underrated how the story of Bama going into this year was, you know, Will Anderson, Bryce Young, you know, all these guys coming back and them having returning, you know, how that 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 was kind of part of the culture. The fact they played in the bowl game, the fact that those guys were so available and ready to continue what they started. And that's why Bill O'Brien got the boot, you know what I'm saying? Because it wasn't about personnel. That's funny that you mentioned that, Will, because Bama had their worst seasons in recent memory when they had the most production returning. Yep. So get this. 2017, they were 73rd in the country that year. They won a title. 2018, they were 103rd in the country. They reached the title game. 2019, number 63, their best ranking of any point during this, uh, I guess, seven-year metric that we're going to be able to test this, including 2023. They missed the playoff that year. 2020, number 88 in the country. They win a national championship going undefeated. 2021, they're 120th in the country. They reached the title game. 2022 this past year with all of that returning production they're 65th in the country and they missed the playoff again 
So you could kind of argue, all right, like maybe that's going to work in Bama's favor. That number is going to rise. Like I said, they will not be 125. I, I bet they'll be probably even better than where they were at in 2021, which 120th in the country in percentage of returning production. But yeah, I mean, so far it's been a one-way thing with the portal. They got the Marshall from Georgia. They got the tight end from Maryland, but like that's been pretty much it. But it's funny because and I keep bringing this up. Everybody laughed at Saban when he goes on with McElroy and Cole and he's talking about it being a rebuilding year in 2021. And you look at that percentage of returning production stat, 120th in the country they were, they're even worse this year. I mean, this is a very different set of circumstances because to overcome it this year is tougher than ever because of the Georgia factor. That's what needs to be remembered is that, yes, they've been able to do that in the past, but I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm saying to do it would be even more impressive. Yes. Okay. And I will say too, backing up that point, we just talked about the 2010 team. That was before this metric was out. But remember, that was a team that McElroy, Julio, Mark Ingram, all those guys, super high, you know, returning starter in terms of the star players, in terms of the guys that were doing things. And that team lost to Steven Garcia. So actually, to your point, this might be another reason why I need to be worried about Alabama because now whatever they're supposed, whatever the haters count them out, that's when they really buckle down. Only one of those six titles happened when they were preseason number one. Yep. So, you know, five of six did not when there was at least some sort of question about Bama. Georgia doing what it did last year uh, might lead some to say, well, why does percentage of returning production matter when we just watch the dogs repeat after losing 15 players to the NFL draft? That is an outlier. That is not a trend. I cannot emphasize that enough. In 2022, Georgia was number 96 in the country in percentage of returning production. So get this. Actually, it ended up being 89. It was it was 96 pre-spring, and then it ended up being 89th in the country. What did they return, though? They returned a starting quarterback. A lot of last year's passing game production, even with the Burton and Pickens losses, and they returned Christopher Smith and Keely Ringo in the secondary. So Georgia, even though it sort of bucks the trend there, also brought back a lot of those key areas to be able to overcome that. And that's what's important to remember. I was curious about the last six national title winners in terms of where they ranked in percentage of returning production coming into the season. 2017 Bama, 73rd. 2018 Clemson, 28th. 2019 LSU, 15th. Very good. 2020 Alabama, number 88. 2021 Georgia was 92nd. And 2022 Georgia was 89th. So what's the takeaway from that? It's not really a deal breaker for title contenders because if you're a title contender like those teams are, you're often replacing all of those guys, that, that production with blue chip recruits. And it doesn't really feel like as big of a deal compared to a place like Mizzou or Kentucky. They can overcome that in ways that most programs cannot. It's why I don't really necessarily think that they're even the fair teams to judge when it comes to this, because they are the, the you know, the 2%, the 3%, whatever you want to call it in college football. It's those teams, though, that I think that like the Mizzou's, the Kentucky's of the world, that I think that this metric carries that much more weight. Mm-hmm. So last year, three SEC teams ranked in the top 40 of Bill Connolly's post-spring rankings of percentage of returning production. They were Mississippi State, who improved by two wins. Tennessee, who improved by four wins. South Carolina, who improved by one win, but also had the Clemson and Tennessee wins in what certainly felt like a significant year-to-year improvement. So those were the teams that were in the top 40 in that stat. There were a few SEC teams who were 
ranked number 80 or worse entering 2022. They were Ole Miss, who regressed by two wins. Georgia, who, again, outlier, they improved by one win. A&M, who regressed by three wins. Still maddening that they were number six in the country coming into last year, but that's a different discussion for a different time. Just and wire to wire correct, both of us were. Just wanted to take another victory lap over that. We were both like, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense by any metric whatsoever. And there was just not a day where it made sense. The minute the football was snapped, it made, it didn't make sense. I said eight and four, so I guess I'm wrong on that, but you know, it is what it is. And then Florida, they stayed at six wins. Definitely not an improvement. Uh, year to year. I don't think we could say that. Although obviously the Utah win was great. We can't really do this exercise with 2020. Um, the, all the 2020 schedules were all over the place, obviously. So any year that uses that as like the before or the after, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do that, to just be able to see win improvement or win regression because the schedule is condensed. So let's do it again with the SEC going from 2018 to 2019 to track year to year progression or regression. So the SEC teams who ranked in the top 40 going into 2019 in percentage of returning production, Tennessee, who improved by three wins, LSU, who improved by five wins and had arguably the best season in college football history, and Florida, who improved by one win. The SEC teams who ranked 80th or worse entering 2019 were Mizzou, who regressed by two wins, Auburn, who actually somehow improved by a win, Vandy, who regressed by three wins, Mississippi State, who regressed by two wins, AM, who regressed by one win, Kentucky, who regressed by two wins, and Ole Miss, who regressed by one win. Have I convinced you yet that there is some sort of merit to this and that it definitely impacts expectations and that it's usually a very good indicator of what a team is most likely to do in terms of setting those expectations and whether or not they can deliver on them? Does that make sense? I yes, said that. And I, I think that the caveat too, exactly to your point, is that you know, you have these true powerhouse programs like Alabama and Georgia. Um, and I'm sure you could throw like an Ohio State in there too, that you know, they can take that little bit of attrition. But even in LSU, which is like just on that always on that borderline of like, are they elite? Can they get there? Even them can't take it. I, I just want to say really quick, like people are obsessed with calling 2019 LSU a um, like a one hit wonder. The 2018 team was really good. They won a New Year's Six Bowl. They they beat UCF and like ended their undefeated streak. So like that's the thing. Like to your point, like the writing was on the wall to make that team, and it still took all of that returning production for them to break through and beat Alabama and beat Georgia. So those teams that are special that recruit in the top three every single year, other than Texas A and M, can kind of take this kind of attrition. So that's what I'm saying. Like if you're those really those two fan bases are pretty much it right the sec it doesn't mean as much for you but to your point when you, <clears throat> that's when you start talking about coordinators right because that you talk about todd munkin and kirby smart and that's why part of the reason they were able to overcome that leadership void on defense when you talk about losing to kobe dean and like that's what, what i'm saying is that the whole culture stays the same because all of your coaches are bought in and they're on the same page but that goes all the way back to alabama with yeah they have they're missing guys and they're missing coordinators. So this will be truly compelling television because we've seen them come back, you know, with similar coordinators and no returning talent. But I don't think we've seen both. You see what I'm saying? And especially with another team in the conference doing what Georgia is currently doing. Exactly. That's, that's the key in all of this. I, I think Mizzou, who is at number nine in this stat, top 10 in the country in percentage of returning production, which not a lot of power five teams usually are. That's usually a little bit more reserved for, for the group of five and the way you know guys stay a little bit longer, not declaring early for you. Are you number one every year? 
the UIs and uh, the way that Bill does it too, it's like the last full season that a guy played. So I wonder how that breaks down for BYU. Like after they go on their mission trips, he's like reverting back to some like 2017 thing or something like that for the last full season that some quarterback, some 26 year old quarterback played or something like that. That's the way that it sets up. Um, but so if you're a team like Mizzou, I think looking at that number, number nine in the country, percentage of returning production, you should be wildly upset. If that team wins six games again, that would be terrible. You kept your DC, Blake Baker, a guy we've spoken very, very highly of on this podcast. You've got a returning starter quarterback if you want it, kind of TBD on that. I know some Mizzou fans want to see Garcia, the kid from Miami. They want to see Sam Horn. For now, it's looking like Brady Cook, but we'll kind of wait and see all that plays out. But this is year four for drink in what should be a prove-it year. But again, we come back to the buyout. And we're like, this can't be a buyout situation. We can't we, we, we can't talk about this without talking about the buyout and we can't let all the percentage of returning production say, well, OK, he's got to go eight and four or we're moving on. Like, I, I just don't I just don't know that we can apply returning production expectation to drinks future. Does that yes. make sense? I will say, though, that was a number that jumped out to me because like Texas A&M, they're doing their thing up there. Mizzou, I'm like, OK, if you guys are ever going to be anything under drink. This is it. And like, if you're not this year, then I just kind of am disinterested. Like, I'm not being mean. I said that about Brady Cook at the end of the year. Like, why are we still doing this thing? Apparently, we're planning on doing this thing again. Awesome. If you believe in this guy and think he should be a seven-year starter in the SEC, this is your final year. Hopefully, until he like reads through an entire book because now he's not taking any classes and finds the stipulation we can come back. But I digress. Point being, you know, now Drink has all of his players in that recruiting class that we talked about with uh, burden is getting older. They're taking leadership roles. He has stability. He has his contract that he's not looking over his shoulder. So like, it's more of an interest standpoint, exactly like Jimbo. Cause yeah, I don't think, I mean, uh, maybe if he wins three games, they might try to buy him out, but I don't think that's possible. Like with that amount of returning you know, starters. So point being like, that's the real intrigue here with Mizzou is that this is a no excuses year. And, you know, we both believe that drink was a good offensive mind, at least coming in. We both kind of like the hire. So finally, this is a chance where maybe we could see a nine or 10 win Mizzou. And if they don't do that, they won't fire him. But like I said, mentally, I'll just kind of write it off. Cause I'll be like, okay, well you had everything you wanted and it still didn't work. You know, it will be a, a really tough look if this team doesn't at least get to eight and four, but can we sit here and project Mizzou to go eight and four? Like, I, I don't think so. I, I still don't think you can say, Oh yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll finish like third or fourth in the East. Like, no, I, I can't, I can't get to that place. Despite the fact that that number bodes really well. And you would think improvement should be imminent. I look at other programs like Arkansas, Florida, South Carolina, who like all those three, those three programs are in very different situations, but I group them together because they're really similar places in percentage of returning production. But I think, I think all of them, because they're, they're not even in the top 100. I, I think all of their fan bases for different reasons want to say, well, we need to be able to improve. We got to take another step. There, there's some angst within those fan bases in South Carolina. There's not angst. I shouldn't necessarily say that, but after the year that you had the finish that you had, you're like, all right, what's next? We're, we're going to take that next step. Maybe we get to a new year six bowl this year. None of their units on those three teams, Arkansas, Florida, South Carolina, none of their units rank in the top half of the country in percentage of returning production, which is why they are not in the top 100 overall. It's not that it's impossible to take that next step. You're just going to have to rely a lot more on that development and or making the right post-spring portal moves. That's what this is key. So I guess if you've listened to all this and you're still thinking, Connor, what about TCU? 
Didn't they just go from five and seven to playing in a national championship? Yes, TCU was the first team since 2013 Auburn to have a a, a year-to-year turnaround like that. TCU was number 10 in the country in percentage of returning production. So point confirmed a little bit there. Um, I just, I I really like this metric because it's not a perfect predictor of wins and losses. That's not what it's supposed to be, but it is the single best way that I've seen to project progression versus regression. And I think for so many fan bases, perspective is everything. It's everything in the offseason. And even during the season, what we thought about for eight months can shape our perspective of how we feel about a team through three weeks of the season. I will be referencing this metric very often throughout the offseason. So if you have ESPN Plus, like you got a, you know, you got a subscription, whatever, like you're interested in this stuff like I am, just bookmark it. Or if you read anything about like returning starters from team X, maybe cross-reference it with this and see how it translates to percentage of returning production. Really quick. I want to go back to that little range that you just did. Uh, South Carolina at 102, Arkansas at 106 and Florida at 107. Now Florida, I do truly think is doing their own thing. I have no idea what's going on down there. I can't just can't draw a through line at whatever. It may be good. It may be bad, but we know it's a long rebuild. Not really expecting much. South Carolina and Arkansas are both in similar situations. They have older quarterbacks who might be able to kind of grab this whole thing by the horns and turn it around. They have new offensive coordinators after having, I mean, would you say that Arkansas had a disappointing offensive year last year? Uh, I, I would say no. When KJ was healthy, their offense yeah. was good. When he was no. healthy, their offense was good. When he was not, uh, it, it struggled and it showed. Right. And, and I mean, for them, it was a little bit more of the defense, but they both do have new, you know, offensive coordinators. And so you have these older veteran quarterbacks, um, obviously talking about Spencer Rattler and KJ, and we both love KJ. Um, but at the end of the day, that goes back to, you know, we talked about, you know, who could potentially be on the hot seat. It's like I said, they're kind of a KJ injury away from having no returning production off of a team that wasn't very good. And rocket. Two, yeah. It would just be all about rocket. It would yeah. be all rocket. And then, you know, we saw it with Leonard Fournette. What happens when there's one guy on the team and it's a running yep. back, not too much. And so point being like, yeah, they have those. You're right. Rocket is another good example. Uh, Juice Wells is back as well. Right. So you, you kind of have a quarterback and another guy, you know, you have a quarterback and rocket quarterback and juice Wells and great two two great tandems, but got to keep those tandems healthy because you could see a version of South Carolina that gets to like an eight wins, you know, that is really spicy that Rattler and his new OC. Finally, he likes a human being on the planet. He has a friend in this world. They're best buddies. They can finally get on the same, he can get the same page as somebody and maybe that works. Um, and then same thing with KJ. We know, you know, he's a dual threat quarterback. Maybe in there, uh, Pittman, one thing he can do is coach offensive line. So if you get him a little bit of time in the pocket, he can take off. He can hit a guy downfield. We saw him, you know, do that. So, but those two teams are super duper mercurial. I love seeing this type of ranking because you think, oh, yeah, they got this leadership comeback, you know, no, no. but then when you start to look at it, it's like, yeah, but those guys are like doing they're going to have like, you know, uh, 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 like Tom Brady level responsibilities of their team, because if an average quarterback shows up, not good football teams, either of them. And to your point, Arkansas, and we, we talk about the year to year continuity in the passing game. They're doing with all these new pass catchers. So right. KJ, if KJ goes down like that is. That is a brutal, brutal blow for this team, given all the questions that we have, especially on the defensive side of the ball and where they, I mean, they're, that that's not going to change drastically, even if they start adding guys left and right in the portal. There's just not a ton of, they're not going to go out and get an Omar Spates like LSU did from Oregon State. You're not, you're not getting a first team, you know, power five conference guy 
to be able to come in like at, at this position, at this position, like those guys aren't necessarily sitting there post spring. You might be able to get one. If you get one, that's great, but that's not all this is going to make up for those issues. It's all about development. I mean, that, that's the cliche thing, but now is where you really are able to tap into, okay, who is, who's actually figured this out to be able to develop talent and who has guys that can stay there that they can actually develop. And those three teams for different reasons are interesting studies in that this year, given the fact that they are not in the top 100 overall in percentage of returning production. I got one more thing for you. This is a little bit on the spot. I apologize. Give me a couple of Bama guys to get excited about. Uh, I I want to see more from Dallas Turner this year. I did. Right. I, I had, I had the bold prediction in the preseason that Dallas Turner was going to lead the SEC in sacks. And I was bold because obviously Will Anderson, you're like, why, why don't you say that? Um, I can't necessarily get on that level. He is a great player. Who's probably going to start off preseason all American Kool-Aid McKinstry preseason all American type guys. Right. right. But the problem and the reason why people aren't getting more excited about Bama is because we haven't necessarily seen much of anything from this offense. They have continuity with the pass catchers coming back, but they don't have continuity in the passing game. And obviously that's where we have questions about, okay, Tommy Reese and what I believe will be the starting quarterback for Alabama's Ty Simpson, right? That relationship and that chemistry that they're able to, to develop is kind of what's going to make or break this thing. It feels like, at least from my standpoint. So there's not I, like a breakout guy? Like, oh, well, under this new offense, I could see this guy who hadn't got a lot of reps maybe taken off? Sure. I mean, there always could be. And I, like the the Maryland tight end, uh, um, Dupree, like the, I think it's, that's how you say it, Dupree, um, he has potential to be one of those kind of breakout guys, but it's a tight end. He's not going to be a right. high volume type guy. I'm not holding my breath on Jermaine Burton to become a superstar. I would have loved to have seen Christian Leary stay. I would have loved to have seen Tyler Harrell stay. Those guys didn't. And they ultimately are trying to find greener pastures. Bam is going to bring in receivers left and right, but it's still about more so, okay, can they find that one or two guy one that number one, that number two guy that their starting quarterback feels like, all right, this guy can can take it to the house from anywhere in the field. They didn't have that this past year. They did. That is so interesting too because they had three of those guys, right? They have Harrell, they had Anderson, and they had JoJo Earl. Now JoJo Earl, I have, he might be missing. I I see him every once in a while getting a game, but in that offense, you know, in the Sark offense or in the Kiffin offense, it, it, a vertical guy like that could get used a lot. But now it's like, well, two of them are gone, and. Earl's still there, I guess. Like, I just had, he was supposed to be like a big recruit. Like, I'm not saying that to be like, I'm, I know he's there, but it's like, do they care about him? And so, point being, like, those guys that usually look for that are these speedsters at Alabama, hopefully a guy will make himself known. But the three guys you look for, two of them are gone, and one of them has just kind of been a dud so far. So, it's very interesting to see who's going to be that role to take the top off the defense. Cause when you have a young quarterback, when you have a new OC, you know, and obviously a tight end helps a lot, especially in that like former Notre Dame system. So like we talked about, they use that tight end, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see who that guy is. I'm interested to see if Ja'Cory Brooks, the former IMG kid, if he can, I mean, he really had the year that many thought he would after he was kind of one of those, one of those guys who looked like he really put it together down the stretch of his freshman season. But yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to to kind of look at that team right now and say anything other than, well, yeah, you just trust Abe to figure it out. Like that's that's what a lot of these projections are going to be based on. There are very few people, obviously, that you can do that for. He is one of them. He just is. And there won't be necessarily the household names that we have typically seen in years past. Doesn't mean that they can't have household names by season's end. Do we see like some transformative running back on the roster? Like, do we see the return to 
Ingram Henry type vibes, or do you think they don't necessarily have that guy yet? I like McClellan. I do. Yeah. Um, I thought he showed a lot of promise once given more snaps and uh, Gibbs was working through late season injury, but do they have a Jameer Gibbs on that roster? I mean, no, but they also didn't really have a Jameer Gibbs on that roster before with the things that he can do in the pass catching, right. you know, the pass catching department, all those different things. But no, I mean, I, I don't think that they necessarily have that, that stud, no doubter game breaker, but Bama will be active in the portal post spring. Mm-hmm. Guarantee that there's no way that they won't be. I just know this giant villain is going to arise, and I'm trying to get eyes on him now because it's going to be somebody, and it's just going to be like, oh, this guy has 2,000 yards. And it's like, oh, okay, yep. whoops, my bad. Anyway. Yeah, Ty Simpson maybe is, is going to be that guy. And all of a sudden, he's Ty Simpson Heisman campaign is off and running, and everybody's like, oh, great. Bama's fifth consecutive superstar quarterback. Fun. Right. Okay, uh, before we kick it to T-Bob, which, by the way, if you've got young kids in the car, maybe – Maybe save this part for a little bit later. Uh, T-Bob, you know, he, he lets it fly a little bit, so we don't, we're not here to to censor him. But, yeah, um, just be on the lookout for that, uh, some language coming up. But we have a quick word from our friends at Underdog Sports Betting, not legal, and all these different SEC states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement right now with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Just sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It is a great way to get some money to play on these contests. Every week, you can pick higher or lower for different players. Pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. If you're watching the Super Bowl, you want some action. You want to figure out, all right, what do these props look like? I need to be able to get something on this because my squares are just crap right now. Squares are always crap. Nobody's ever won a square ever in the history of time. If you're that person, you're like, all right, I want to get involved in this. Go to Underdog. It's really fun, very fun to be able to follow along and see kind of, you know, these props and the way that they play out. And you can win, like I said, real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to T-Bob. I'm not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Mr. Baton Rouge himself. Don't tell Hester I said that. Um, oh, yeah. He might get a little upset. It is T-Bob Bear. Uh, T-Bob, I, I always have to start with a karaoke question for you. Stay with me on this one. So okay. two years ago, I did current country artists to describe the state of every SEC program. Okay. Um, and so I picked Chris Stapleton for LSU. And I, I yeah. just I just thought it by saying like, all right, high floor. And when it's right, it's so unbelievably good. Um, Chris Stapleton doing the national anthem for the Super Bowl. Uh, I have watched you crush some Tenacious D. It <laughs> feels like Stapleton is the next step up. We've got SEC Media Days in Nashville this year. So I'm asking you. Okay, continue, continue. Would you like to either by yourself, you know, do a solo, Chris Stapleton, Tennessee whiskey, or I will be, I could be your backup singer for some Tennessee whiskey. Okay. Okay. So, hmm. Hmm. I, I am not closed off to the idea in theory, like just the idea of singing Chris Stapleton, but I mean, Connor, I mean, 
doing it in Nashville. Right. That, I mean, like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I, <laughs> I let me actually I'll, I'll do I'll do a couple. Uh, now, I feel like I have a pretty good, almost comedic, like kind of country singing voice. So but let's uh, let's let's see how correct I think I'm coming. But but you've at least planted the seed like. Like I definitely was the nerd that kind of in my car for weeks leading up to SEC media day was singing uh, tenacious D to really try and see if I was about that life or not. So I, I could try the same thing with, uh, with Stapleton, but uh, Ooh, yeah. He's I mean, and Tennessee whiskey, especially though, dude, like that's, you gotta have a fuck. You can I cry? You gotta have a freaking voice. I don't know if I can curse on here or not. You're fine. Go ahead. Okay. You gotta have a voice though, I guess is, is the point there. Uh, uh, but it does it does apply to LSU though in terms of the uh you know the high floor and the potential for greatness when it all comes together. Okay, so how many how many beers would it take for you? Because I'm usually two beer Connor. I, I think I'd need to be like four or five beers if I were to have any sort of confidence that I could do Stapleton, especially in Nashville. Like that actually might be like a six or seven beer situation for me. Yeah, I mean, already any karaoke is a six or seven or eight or ten beer situation for me. I mean, that's the like the only times I've done karaoke in my life have been at is it Gabriel's, right? Is that the name of it? In, yes, in, in, uh, in, in Birmingham, in, yeah, Hoover. in Birmingham and in, or in Hoover. And so that's the only time I've ever done in my life. And even then, I had to get very drunk, which led to some very hard days. The next day, but even though we were performing in front of like eight people, the rush that I felt like the, the adrenaline rush that I got was a, it was, it was huge. I, it's like, I get why people karaoke, but I still remain like very scared of it. Um, I, I, I don't know why. I mean, all I do is talk in front of a mic all day, every day, 24 seven, but there's something about when you go the, maybe it's the extra vulnerability of singing that it's just, uh, it's just a very naked feeling up there, man. And especially imagine if you're in a national karaoke bar, you're probably just hearing like banger after banger, yep. but we'll see. Yeah. I want to check in with you because yeah. I think uh, 20, now, now I got Tennessee whiskey stuck in here, don't I? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 2022 LSU felt a little bit like season one and two of The Office, like super cringe at times. Yeah. But in the end, you kind of look up and you're like, all right, those were foundation years and they, they set the foundation for greatness. And that's kind of the hope for for Brian Kelly and what he's going to be able to do at LSU. Are you more, less, or just as optimistic about the Kelly era after seeing what he did in year one? Is uh, now I maybe need to go recheck out season one and two of The Office. Sometimes uh, my memory of it is just being very short, very tight. I'd be interested to see if I think the cringe is there. Now with with LSU football, though, the cringe was definitely there at, at times last year, but. I don't think there's any way uh, that you could come out of that year and not say that you feel more confident about LSU's chances. I mean, I was bullish on this team in that I had nine and four as like a damn good season. If you go nine and four, that'd be really good. So I kind of tried to naturally curb my own homerism and so i started thinking i think saying like eight and four in public so i was like okay my homer self says nine and four let's grade on a curve and we'll tax that and we'll get like uh or uh uh nine and three excuse me uh we'll grade on a curve tax that it'll be eight and four like eight and four seems like a great bar and what i was shocked is we get to sec media days and even that was a bit homery and a bit bullish as 
most people had this seven and five. I did fifth in the SEC West. I yep. think um, I think the over under might have been like six and a half at Vegas. Maybe it was seven and a half. I can't exactly remember. So even in trying to knock my own homerism, I was still being too much of a homer, and they still exceeded even the most homer of my takes, right? Including beating Alabama and winning the SEC West in year number one under Brian Kelly, which is absurd when you consider a roster. And look, the whole like 39 scholarship players during the bowl game is technically true. They were in a bit better shape than that because some of those guys are still going to be on the team. They just weren't available for that game for whatever reason. But um, but he took over an awful situation, a situation that had to be built from the ground up. And so to be able to do that, and to be able to craft a team that wins the SEC West, beats Alabama to now make it two and two in the last four against Bama, which is huge for LSU fans after a decade of losing to them and feeling like you had completely fallen behind. Um, it's a massive exceeding of expectations. And they needed the bowl game to really end on a positive note Agreed. after because the AM loss was pretty bad. Like the AM loss took a lot of the wind out of sails. It was a bad way to end the season. And you knew you were never going to beat Georgia. But it did hurt worse after losing to AM like you did. But the bowl game, you went on a winning note. You hit the double-digit wins. Now you can look back and celebrate winning the West. And it's uh yeah, look, I'm a I'm a cult of Kelly believer. Uh, because I mean his resume speaks for himself, but LSU does all this sort of um, you know, like every other school now, they're a content machine, right? And they have this subscription service called LSU Gold. And I did a podcast for one of the shows that was called, I think, The Follow. And it's just like an inside look at LSU football. And through that, I got to basically see the the tip of the iceberg on the Brian Kelly process. And it is such a thought out, developed over time, um, clear cut process where every single person knows what the end goal is. Everybody appears to be moving in the same directions. You hear the same phrases coming out of multiple people's mouths that are at every level in the hierarchy of the organization. Like, like as an employee, what do you want to know? You want to know, okay, what does my boss expect of me? What do I need to get done? And then I want the freedom to get it done in the way that I see fit. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that is a lot of this Brian Kelly process. Everybody clearly knows what is expected of them and they're empowered to accomplish that as they see fit. And um, so I'm a big believer in that process and to see it pay dividends in year one. Well, then it starts to become exponentially more exciting about what it's like in year two and year three and year four and five, where in year one, a new culture, a new pro it's new to everybody. Year two, the old heads, like LSU has 36 new faces. If you look between the transfer portal and this recruiting class, so over a third of the roster, new guys, it's a lot. Well, guess what? Those guys are going to learn this culture from the people who just lived it for a year and so on and so forth. So three, four, five years down the road, it's literally embedded into the DNA of the players from the day they step on campus, the day they leave. And look, that's how all the greats have it. They have a process. It's what Nick Saban got famous for that, that, that wins. And Brian Kelly has that. And now he has that process attached to a school where there are more geographic and talent advantages than he's ever had before. Okay, so speaking of Bama, with Oklahoma and Texas not joining the SEC until 2025, or at least that's what it looks like, barring some sort of last-minute change with the TV partners and the way that's all going to shake out, I, I wonder now, and I brought this up the other day, is this potentially Brian Kelly's LSU the biggest West threat to Saban's Alabama that we have seen in his time in Tuscaloosa? Uh, I mean... 
Yeah, right. Uh, I'm trying to think about who's even really threatened since Saban rose to prominence because the early wars, what I refer to as the the SEC West Punic Wars, in which you had Carthage and Rome going toe to toe, and Carthage was wiped off the map. That was Les Miles and Nick Saban, and like those 2011, 2010, 2012 teams and games, and like Rome. Alabama wiped LSU off the map. Like we were Carthage in that situation. They they ascended. Nobody else challenged them. And yeah, I mean, when you look at Kelly, he wins in year one. I mean, I'm very interested to see what happens this year at SEC Media Day because when you look on paper with the returning quarterback, the returning offensive line, it's like a solid defense top to bottom. What they did in year one of Brian Kelly, like there will be a lot of momentum for LSU to be the media favorite yep. to win the SEC West. So Already there, you're seeing, yeah, okay, maybe this is an actual threat. Now, I guess we saw AM flirt with the idea of being a threat, but there was never any actual follow through. Well, that, that's not true. 2020, there was follow through, and it looked like maybe Texas AM was maybe going to emerge, and they failed mightily to do so. So maybe the same fate awaits LSU, but quite frankly, even without the national championship, Brian Kelly's resume is much more consistent and much better than is Jimbo Fishers and has been able to win at a higher rate. I mean, he's Notre Dame's winningest all-time coach. So, no, I, I think it is a big threat to Saban. But at the same time, I also very much believe in the idea that the empire strikes back, right? And the the deaths, uh, the, the rumors of Nick Saban's death have been much exaggerated. I mean, he just signed. Like, did this class end up being better than the A&M class of last year? I like, I know they were they were flirting with it for a while, but, like, he just signed the number one class of the country. Yeah. He still has the highest blue chip ratio in the entire country. Uh, he, he's got a new sexy young coordinator. Like, I'm not I'm, I'm not counting Nick Saban out of anything. Yeah, what's, what's what I think is is worth um, at least considering is that Bama doesn't get into these really like four year wars with programs or, or at least where it feels like, OK, a team can go in there in a given year and, and go into Tuscaloosa and win a game. And that's obviously 2019 LSU is the last team to do that from the West. And then Auburn, you know, has been so uncompetitive in these road games at Alabama that you're like, well, you yeah. can't really say that's a threat. So I think that's, that's something that's at least interesting. And now that we're, we know that we're probably going to get three years of them being in the same division. It is interesting. And you see the development of talent and that's obviously a big part of it. And the, the way that the talent acquisition has gone, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm just reinforcing your point. I mean, and I hate to be like the, you know, and when I played, but but I think you do have to go back to my years at LSU 07 through 11, or you extend it to 12 or whatever you want to, to really like, that was the only time when there was a legitimate, okay, Alabama could lose this game every year. I mean, in my five years, we finished three and three against Alabama. So it was a literal 500 affair with Nick Saban being in every game. And then I think LSU lost eight or nine years in a row after that so so that was the tipping point and, and i think brian kelly get them back there and that's another reason why this first win was so huge because you now can lose two in a row right and then you're still fine if you win the next one right so it's given you already a little bit of like wiggle room a little bit of a buffer zone in this exact conversation that we're talking about yeah and i should clarify i meant like when like since bama became a true dynasty what we would consider that because even after 2010 it's like ah you had this letdown year yeah you know we kind of think all right what what exactly is alabama at this stage even though they were preseason number one all those different things but yeah like 2011 2012 obviously that changed everything that's their only that's their only back-to-back -back natties yeah it's the reason why what kirby smart's done is so sneakily incredible is because people don't win back-to-back -back natties in college 
Um, and especially in this modern era, it feels like it might happen less and less. But like if you go back and look, I mean, it's like one team a decade, maybe. It's four since nineteen eighty to do it. There you go. Yeah. Four since nineteen eighty. So oof, Georgia. Georgia's about to become the very evil that they've been fighting against, though. They're having a classic Harvey Dent heel turn where, okay, you know, you were fun when you were unseating the king, but now that you're king, you're looking a little fat and cocky up there, okay? And you're gonna you're gonna fall uh into the same trap that all the Alabama fans do where nothing's gonna be good enough. You're gonna be yelling about all of your coordinators, you're gonna end up hating a guy like Jalen Hurts, like this is all in Georgia's future and it's coming. And so I just want to be very, very clear with everyone about that. When you see your Georgia friends start to change, uh, just know it is honoring a time-honored historical fact, which is the old idea of wooden clogs on the way up, silk slippers on the way down, right? You, you come up through the adversity, then you get the riches, you get everything you ever want, you get soft, and uh, you become a piece of shit. And that's what's going to happen to uh, George. How could Fair. you not, though? You know, like who who's actually able to avoid that? Who could go yeah. through a stretch like that in time and actually come out of it the other end, humble and still understanding the magnitude of everything? And I'm not saying that all Alabama fans don't understand that, but like, no, they don't. They absolutely don't. How like, could you? Like, not. I grew up in the '90s, like '90s Bulls. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, mm. and for ten years after, like post MJ. It was like, oh, yeah, this is stupid. Who cares? Like, even when, like, the Bulls make, like, a little bit of a run, it's like, all right, yeah, but whatever. You know, you made it to the Eastern Conference Finals or you were close getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Who really cares? Let's clean house. Like, this isn't as good as it once was. How do you – you're going to be arrogant no matter what. You have to be. Yeah. Yeah, but that, but 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 it's a classic, you know, have and have not situation. Just because you have, if I'm of the have nots, am I supposed to be understanding Am I supposed to like treat you with kids gloves because you're a victim of your own success? Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck you. That's what I say. Okay. Yeah. No, screw you, man. And you're in your golden throne where you're complaining about, is this your y'all? Did you see all quiet on the Western front? The Netflix no, movie. I okay. I need it's to. incredible. But there's a scene, you know, it's a movie that deals like trench warfare. You got the common man just in the trenches being ripped apart. And there's a scene where they show the officers that are like negotiating some sort of peace agreements. And the guy's like bitching at an assistant about, are these pastries fresh? Like that's Georgia football. Are these pastries fresh as the rest of us are out here scrapping? fighting trying to go you know who's going to be third in the sec are you going to be bowl eligible you're kentucky you're just trying to go eight and four and and george is out here asking about pastries get the hell out of here bulldog fans it's coming man just wait you're gonna get softer and softer from time from here on out and hey guess what guess what the bigger you are the harder the fall right the more what what is uh is that a star wars line uh I was just thinking pride double the fall i think maybe count dooku tells anakin that that is what is going to hurt for Alabama and eventually what will hurt for Georgia. I was just thinking big tree fall hard from wedding crashers. I mean, yes. The, the exact same thing said in a much more succinct way. <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk to you about Harold Perkins um, because yeah. he, he goes through this freshman year in which this, this rise, I mean, even as a five-star guy, you're like, Whoa, this is, this is different. And it is so hard to look different in, in the sec. And I'm, I'm fired up that, 
unlike Derek Stingley going into year two with all the changing pieces, we've talked about the Bo Pelini stuff a lot. We don't need oh. to dig back into that, but like he doesn't have all this change around him. If like losing a BJ Ojolari to, to, you know, to your right or whatever is the biggest change that he's going to go through. That's pretty minimal. That's the way that it works at big time programs. Who does he remind you of? And what do you think his potential is? I don't have a great comp for him. I was a little shocked. I thought I was like, oh, he kind of reminds me of like a Bosa, right? But because I don't know why. I don't think about the Bosa's being especially large. I guess because they're just going against NFL tackles all day, but they're actually massive. Yeah. Like they're like, they're like 250, 270, right? So it's not that I have heard people invoke the name of Derek Thomas. Um, like the one who, you know, was obviously one of the greatest football players of all time before his life ended tragically way too soon. Um, and that size comp does make much more sense. That natural pass rush ability makes much more sense. Um, that's just like an impossibly high bar to live up to. But then again, Harold Perkins kind of did some impossibly impressive things as a freshman. I mean, he won you multiple games, which is like insane to think about that the literal probably about two win loss columns shifted simply because of Percules being out there making plays one local conversation that I'm a bit perplexed by is this idea of like a, a lot of people seem to want to move him to inside linebacker and have him fall in the footsteps of like Devin White and company and I don't know that that's best for him and I get it you can like rush the inside um you can rush the passer from the inside. I mean, Demario Davis for the Saints is incredible at it that a lot of locals can kind of c- give context with. But but it seems a bit too traditional of a role. Like, it seems like maybe you're taking away Harold Perkins' greatest advantage, which is the ability to rush the passer consistently and just make plays from a variety of different positions. And so I how I would use it I and mean, how I expect Madhouse to use him, I don't think they're just going to try to slot him in on the inside. I think you continue to just be creative with him and manufacture mismatches. That means putting him in kind of almost like a nickel linebacker role out there on the edge, maybe hand down sometimes. Like I would put Harold Perkins all over the place and basically just continue to tell him, Hey, go get the, go get the quarterback. Like just go get the quarterback and um, we'll win. Uh, So, but, 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 but there is an idea maybe that they, and, and like, you know, like, Matt Moscone, who does the afternoon show here, who is as plugged in as anybody that you will find on LSU. He seems to think that like the inside linebacker thing is definitely going to happen. It needs to happen. And I just, I don't agree, but time will tell. It's interesting because he lined up the majority of his snaps in the box. Yeah. And and it's not just as simple as, oh, well, you know, he's great edge rusher. He doesn't even know what he's doing yet. He's able to get to the quarterback. And it's just like, it's just some freak that they just put out there. It's like, no, they actually had to find kind of creative ways to use him. And the way that he could spy was unbelievable. And you can't teach some of the things that he is already doing. And especially the Arkansas game. I make the joke all the time. Like he owns the state of Arkansas. He does. As far as I'm concerned, Harold Perkins day is a thing. Like he is so unbelievably talented at this stage in his career, but it is fascinating because you want to maximize these abilities and you want to make sure, all right, are we using him in his best possible skill set? And him as a spy is fascinating. And it's part of the reason why I'm so excited for LSU Florida State because we didn't get to see the full Harold Perkins in no. that season opener. We didn't get to see Mason Smith because obviously he goes out in the first series of that game. And, you know, you're kind of wondering, all right, well, what are these teams going to look like? Because they followed a pretty similar trajectory, you know, 10 win seasons, both get bowl wins in Orlando. They look so much different than what they were when they faced off in that season opener in New Orleans. I'm curious, how much does that like fuel an off season? Like you've been in some of oh, so many it. of those games. Like it yeah. changes the entire vibe, doesn't it? 
No, it's it's incredible. Um, real quick on Perkins, I will say I don't know if y'all can put film without getting like DMCA or something, but one of the coolest things that you can do is watch a all twenty two cut up of Harold Perkins spy plays because he truly is a lion stalking the tall grass. He kind of walks around and he's he's hunched over and he and he's peering through the the O line D line wash and like the second the quarterback breaks, it's like he's literally pouncing. And, and there's a play especially against Bryce Young where I've seen Bryce Young break down a thousand and one people with this little you know this little shoulder kind of hesitation. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Perk gets him. And that was the moment where I was like, well, God damn, man. Also, Derek Thomas, 6'2 and a half, 234 pounds. So from a size comp, that actually kind of works uh, perfectly. Now, um, back to the question. I forgot the question. The opener, having an opener yes, that people okay, are jacked no, up that's for. That's huge. So that is huge. So back when, uh, again, from uh, my own playing days, which are farther and farther away over a decade now, uh, we started one of the seasons in Jerry world with Oregon, right? Yep. I think we were like five in the country. They were three in the country. And I'll never forget. We got back from the uh, winter break after the bowl. We had a couple weeks where we started workouts and on like January 9th or 7th, whenever it was that we had our first day of uh, workouts, first day of workouts of not even summer of, of that January semester, um, Tommy Moffitt's out there, a strength coach, like yelling at us the man. about Oregon and about their speed and about their tempo. And, and we're doing these tempo infused drills. And so, yeah, it was like an entire off season use. What it does is it gives you a, um, a focus point, right? Like, like the, 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 the same way that a lot of times in, uh, I can't remember the exact word for it, but in fantasy or other thing, a witch or wizard may need like a staff or a wand or some sort of totem with which to kind of channel their powers. When you have that focus point of the great first game, it it fights complacency. Like you can use it as motivation when you're running during the summer and you're like super tired. You don't really want to do it. You can needle yourself with like, okay, but you better be ready because there's no getting ready. Like, like this thing's going to start and everything's going to be on the line immediately. And that's maybe changed a little bit because now there's going to be more wiggle room with making the playoff. But back in the day, it felt like, okay, your season is already here on the line. Game number one, what are you going to do about it? And a lot of that still does ring true and for florida state and lsu it's it's going to be a top 10 matchup both teams that are trying to fulfill the year two expectations that they built with well it's not year two for norvell but you get it but fulfill the expectations that were built upon the the previous year he just got the big extension the worst thing he could do now would go be have like a mel tucker letdown sort of season the worst thing brian kelly could do would be have a letdown sort of season after he has another year of baking the process. Like if he's to do worse, people are gonna be like, well, why? What happened? So no, it's um, and especially with how it all went down last year, there's even a lot of extra narrative juice with this Florida State game. So you know, I think I think it's great. And I think it's a great thing for the team because again, it fights complacency and gives you something to kind of channel all of your energies and and to and to draw motivation from, like an external source to draw motivation from. Do you know how many knockdowns you had in that Oregon game? Uh, I want to say it was like 11 or 13 or something. Eat 11. Uh, hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. I, I got, mean, you're fired uh, up. Yeah, we were. Yeah, I was, I was, I was yelling at him, uh, before the game. Like, uh, I was pulling the old Rorschach, like, you're locked in. We got you for four hours. You can't fucking leave. <laughs> I'll never forget, like, the kicker, like, missed a kick as I was jogging by warm ups. And I was like, you fucking bears, like, 
Oh, you better not miss it, Dorothy. Like, I, I was a psycho back in the day. I used to just, just I, okay, you want to hear some real deep cut, not safe for work, nasty details? Yeah, we'll put the I disclaimer had, on. In case in case the kids in the car haven't already heard some new words, like, just this might be a place where you just come back to this part later. But no, yeah, no fire yeah, away. Yeah, I feel bad. I, I just, I have, You're good. I have, but, but I had a, um, I had an awful case of hemorrhoids. Oh. That day. And and every time I would pancake a uh, Oregon defender, when I tell you, I would rub my bloody asshole on them. I mean, I would just grind that thing all over their chest and just let them know uh, what the deal was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever told that publicly. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that changes anything about you that I already know to be true. <laughs> uh, but I mean, these are the sort of mindsets that I used to have to operate out of to kind of get into uh, the fight, if you will. And that Oregon game was awesome. We, you know, we kicked their ass. It was the tired Matthew coming out party. It was, yeah, it was super fun. What does less say to you when you come off the field after a knockdown? Like maybe, maybe when you come off the field or when you see it in, in film or something like that, what's, what's that tone for you? It wasn't, it wasn't less as much, but the O-line coach, uh, coach stud was giving me uh, a lot of love, uh, for that game. Uh, certainly it was, um, yeah, it was cool, man. That, that was a very fun game. I'll never forget the moment I knew we were going to win. And it was the ultimate like exhalation. Like I didn't even realize I'd been holding my breath basically for nine months. And that like, once it was like 42, 40, something like 20, some, you know, in the fourth and we're like, okay, it's, we passed the test. It's over. It's like when Gladriel said no to the ring and you can see her kind of like, like visibly exhale. That's how, uh, that's, that's a bit how it felt. And it was like, okay, now we can get to the season. <laughs> like now, now we can actually like think about something else other than the only thing that we've been thinking about for the last nine months of our lives. Oh, I don't have to wipe these hemorrhoids than anyone else. Dude, hemorrhoids don't play, bro. Th that that hurts so bad. And I mean everything because it all ties into your core. It's like any movement. If you have a God help you, if you have a cough at the time, I would also say papaya <laughs> enzymes um, or maybe like a probiotic have solved all those problems for me. Along with maybe doing some Kegel exercises. Those are three things anybody can do if you need to, uh, if you ever suffer from hemorrhoids and need to help your problems. Oh God. I don't even know where to go from that. Um, <laughs> you see, uh, you see LSU have the year that I did with a couple of freshman tackles, which yeah. you usually don't get one of those on a team in this league, but for LSU to kind of be at this place to win the West with, with two guys doing it and two guys that, that held their own. And obviously like they made their mistakes, but you know, I, I saw Andrew Whitworth. He told NOLA.com, like, it's insane for, for a team to be able to, to do that. It is. How it well does that bode is. for LSU? No, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to exaggerate how well that bodes for LSU. Like, unless these guys just become a victim of success, right? And kind of lose, like, maybe the drive that got them there. Classic wooden claws. You know, more slippers. More dehydration um, for Will Campbell. Would uh, be. Yeah, that was, God, that was, that was, that was odd. But, like, unless, Unless they exactly, unless they lose their way, um, they are going to be scary good because Aunt Whitworth isn't lying. When you talk about the absolute hardest things on a football field that you can ask a true freshman to do, um, playing offensive tackle and playing cornerback, 
maybe quarterback as well, obviously, because the, the mental capacity is just so insanely high. But from pure physical standpoint, like what you need to have physically, the tools you need, tackle and cornerback are probably the hardest. And then maybe even tackle a little bit more so because it's kind of size-based as well. Like at least at corner, if you're just truly elite, elite athletically, you can kind of, you're going to be able to hang. But even a tackle, you got to have all the athletics, but you also got to have the size and strength, which is tough to do as an 18-year-old if you're going against an elite SEC 22-year-old pass rusher that's been in a college strength program for four years. So I don't think there's a bigger challenge on the field. And both Emory Jones and Will Campbell were pretty damn good. And so I think they're going to be great. And then there's this other cat coming into Lance Hurd, who is claiming that he's going to start a tackle and he would know he played with Will Campbell in high school. And there is talk that like he could come in and maybe start immediately, maybe not a tackle, maybe a guard or maybe Emory Jones. I don't know. But the point is the offensive line. And this is one thing that Brian Kelly's always been great at is having really good offensive lines. The offensive line is. Hmm. I, okay. So the 2019 team ended up winning the Joe Moore award but I did not have great expectations for that line entering the year. Cause now, obviously they was ended bad. up being, yeah. Yeah. And obviously they've ended up being good and 2018. It's like, it was, you know, I obviously I cover this stuff. So it's like, yeah, it was bad, but like the coaches were putting them in like bad spots a lot of times. But like, if you look at 2019, a lot of those guys are still in the NFL. So it was obviously a good O line, but nobody expected them to be that. Um, this is by far the line that I think should be best since I've covered LSU, which is coming up probably in about 13 years now. So, yeah, this line, I mean, you're returning everybody. You got six legitimate starters returning from a line that I already really liked last year. And you got bookend tackles that, as you said, were 18 last year. So uh, the, the potential there is massive. It's like one of the main reasons why I think they should be um, arguably the favorite to win the West. I think you just included a year that you were playing. You were covering LSU while you are playing, which is cool. Like that's uh, yeah, critically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. I mean, 12. Yeah, okay. So we're about 11 years. I guess yeah. you're right. We're, we're at 11 years. There we go. No, I got, I, I got what you were saying. Um, Garrett Nussmeyer, what's, what's his future? I mean, I think the plans are for him to be the quarterback after Jaden and then obviously be one play away in case Jaden goes down. Um, there's the idea out there that maybe Brian Kelly and company, they just thought Walker Howard went and transfer no matter what, and then they might've bit off a bit more than they could true trying to keep all three guys. Uh, but look, I really like Nuss. I, I think, I think the, my only issue with Nuss is, like, I don't think there should be much of a quarterback controversy. I mean, no. now, now I want it to be an open competition, right? Like, if, if Nuts is just out there balling and showing massive strength, growth, then, yeah, like, play him, right? I just don't expect that he will be able to show enough growth to beat out Gene. But it's interesting. Nationally, everybody's like, yeah, Gene Daniels, he's great. Hell yeah. But, like, locally, there is, like, a push for Nuss. Yeah. And, and, and I think the reason is Nuss's style of quarterback play, our brain has just been conditioned to think, okay, that's how it should feel. You hit the back foot, it's coming out your hand. You're rocking in it. And ideally, yes, my main goal for Jaden Daniels this offseason is to see a bit more of that, right? Um, a higher yards per tip. Take advantage of this wide receiver group that is the most talented group you have on the entire team. It was the only, it was the biggest piece of criticism of Jaden Daniels last season is that's the best group in the team and they're pretty underutilized. Um, for the most part, you're not really threatening teams vertically. So those are very, but, but that's why I like Daniels' game. Because he's doing everything else. And so if you're telling me like he has such a clear point of improvement to work on, I think he should be able to accomplish that. Whereas Nuss has a bit more overall work. Like the pick ratio is still way too high. Um, he has the intangibles. He has all the arm talent. 
He has the mental capacity, but it's just a bit raw. There's a lot more refining that I think has to be done. But, but you know, I'm open to the idea that Nuss could win the job. I just think if I'm talking about what's likely, um, no, I think I think Jaden Daniels is the guy. And I think he's the guy that gives LSU the best chance to win uh, next season. If you're upset about Walker Howard leaving, don't be. Go read Max Olson's piece in The Athletic where the percentages on these top 100 quarterbacks actually playing for your school is insane. It's like over 70% transfer. They can start for a year and they still have a 60 something percent chance. So they end up transferring. So it is what it is. Like don't get married to them. It's just the name of the game nowadays. If Florida were to, let's just say theoretically tamper with a certain Garrett Nussmeyer, would you go to the ends of the earth to prove uh wrongdoing? Uh, no, man, that's just the game, man. You know, that is what it is. That's saying that, that, yeah, no, 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 you can't be a snitch. Yeah, snitches get snitches. All right, last one for you. Um, it's actually not even a question, it's an apology for me. Um, oh man, I'm Good. sorry. Thank you. You're, 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 well, actually, let's hear it first. I am sorry for subtweeting you about Anthony Richardson back in August, but, <laughs> but I was right that we should stop comparing quarterbacks to Cam Newton. Oh man. Uh hey, look, that Utah week was a fun week. Okay. okay. We'll never forget it. And they're both big as fuck. Okay. <laughs> and they can both throw the ball super far. And they're both super fast. And guess what? They both may get drafted in the top 10. So who was really right, Connor? Actually, but look, I will, I will um I will Pontius pilot this situation though, and I wash my hands of it by saying that I will say that was more Aaron Murray. Than me, I'm gonna pass the buck here. No, 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 no. Uh, I yeah, subtweeted you. No, oh, no, 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 no. You tweeted that, and then I immediately fired it off. Like after I saw your tweet, without adding you, and then you just, you know, you may or may not have seen that right I away. Do remember, have- I do remember calling you out on, on subtweet. The uh, I'll say this: Cam Newton is the best football player I've ever seen live in my life, a hundred percent. So, full stop. You of all people should know. That that spin, dude. That spin two point conversion in the air though was super tight against Utah. I mean, I'll, I'll be watching that forever. It's <laughs> that was, incredible, man. And that was like the last pass that he completed all season. Basically. I guess yeah. uh, that's okay. Who knows, dude? Like, bro, he's even going to end up on the Panthers. I mean, what are we talking about? He is Cam Newton. I'm doubling down now. Ooh. Andy Richard is Cam Newton just without any of the stats. Okay, Cam Newton's a system guy, right? <laughs> Get him out of the system. Who knows? Richardson just not in the right system. Yeah. Yeah. Cam Newton just had so much talent around him and was obviously just benefiting from that. Yeah. Exactly. I could see that. Exactly. I mean, Nick Fairley, dude. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, they had one other NFL player on that team. So (laughs) (laughs) come on. Let's system guy. You're exactly right. Uh, T Bob, appreciate it, man. Um, Start resting your vocal cords now so we can do some Stapleton. All right, Connor, take it easy, man. You have a great day. How about this one? I call it bold and bright. More like belongs in the trash. <laughs> Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and brash, Super Bowl edition. Well, uh, as I've gotten older and I've given up pretty much all hope that my Bears can ever get there again, only once in my lifetime, I just like seeing the legends play in a Super Bowl. I think that's cool. And I even the Brady years was fun because Lauren hates Tom Brady as somebody who grew up in Indianapolis as a Colts fan. As someone who grew up in America, yes. 
as as a human being who has you know take ha, who has life, she just hates Tom Brady. Uh, no, but I, I I like being able to watch a Mahomes in a Super Bowl or, or something like that. I, I just I like the legacy defining stuff when when I don't have necessarily dog in the fight. Like give me give me that all day over you know a punt fest. Like I was watching the um the Bullies of Baltimore that Ravens thirty for thirty, which is really good. Um, yeah. We've given ESPN Plus a lot of love today, but you should go check it out on ESPN Plus if you haven't recorded it already. Um, but that Super Bowl, I remember watching as a kid, and it was so bad. It was terrible because the quarterback play was unbelievably awful because, I mean, the Ravens' defense was iconic, second-best defense of all time behind only 85 Bears, according to a certain podcast host. Um, but that 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 game was just awful. And I find myself every year after that saying, just don't give me that. Just don't, even if it's Mahomes running for his life, like he did a couple years ago against the Bucks, that's at least kind of interesting. Devin White was so good in that game. But that to me is like what I, <laughs> like that's, that's what I look for in these games now, especially when I don't have a rooting interest. And besides just eating a ton of food. Yeah. Me watching uh, 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 Leonard Fournette and Devin White just be awesome for an entire Todd Brady playoff run was like a special kind of hell. It was really interesting because it was like, wow. Oh, and then Devin White hurt the Saints fair tries quarterback. This is great. I don't know what to do with my head. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I'm at that point where it's like, you know, this is, in my opinion, a pretty hater proof. I mean, a lot of people like think whatever about philly but i think it's a pretty likable team like i said about Jalen, i mean if you i don't know other than philadelphians i don't know what specifically is dislikable about this team you know what i'm saying i mean you have every star of this team is pretty cool um they have a couple of just lad defensive tackles uh they have pretty much everything that you would kind of want in like an underdog story you know like i said Jalen just kind of come through and everything and, and meanwhile mahomes i mean yeah his wife and his brother are annoying, but I mean, he's just kind of a lad too. He's just like a weirdo who sounds like Kermit and Andy Reid's awesome. And they got the Kelsey brothers. So this is honestly the best, the best vibes of a Super Bowl, I think, you know, because both of these cities are kind of just like in it. Like there's not really like an LA or like a hateable city. So yeah, I think, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, like besides Philly fans, you're right. I mean, there's not really a hateable element of that. They, they, you can really, I mean, if you if you think Nick Sirianni is really corny, which he is, I guess that's a reason to dislike them. But I mean, seeing Jordan Davis and Jalen Hurts like get to celebrate a Super Bowl would be that'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. Like I, you know, I, I think Mahomes is going to have several more Super Bowls in his future. So it's kind of like, eh, do you really do you really want to root for him? I, I hope he, you know, I hope he gives us an entertaining game and I hope it's fun, you know, down to the wire. But I find myself rooting for for Jalen Hurts in a situation like this to finally get over the hump, like after. All he's all the national championships that he saw, either from the sideline or situations where he just lost control of, and then obviously 2019, running into the the buzzsaw that was LSU, um, which I still can't believe that was actually a playoff game. I had to remind myself of that. Yeah, seeing John Hurts win a Super Bowl would be that'd be Disney stuff. It would. He he deserves some luck, doesn't he? I mean, like the matchups he's gotten in these first couple of rounds have been super easy, and honestly, he deserves it. Like he deserves to not have to play, you know. Georgia and 2019 LSU and, and have to deal with all the crap in Philly and have like with wits and everything. He truly deserves some good luck. Like that's one of the few that's like we joke about like Lawrence and Bryce Young, like every like I've I overcome adversity. No, Hurts probably actually just deserves some good things to happen to him. How ironic would it be? And I don't root for anybody to get hurt. And like I just said, I, I love to see Pat Mahomes play and an especially high level in this game. But how ironic would it be if <laughs> Jalen Hurts just gets to face Chad Henney? for basically four quarters or something. And he just gets this ride to the Super Bowl where he faces Josh Johnson. Um, Daniel Jones is, is fine. Um, 
right? <laughs> like that's it. Like that's his ride to the Super Bowl. That would be after having to face, you know, Joe Burrow in 2019, you've got to go, you know, lose your job to Tua and, you know, Deshaun Watson, you got to face him in a national championship too. Like, I mean, it's going to be the only, only quarterback in history to face harder competition in college than he will be in the NFL if they end up in that situation. Because, yeah, these are all, like, franchise NFL quarterbacks. Like, well, yeah. Who do you face in high school, like, like a Texas state championship or something like that? He yeah. just runs into, like, I don't know. I, I I'm I, Obviously, a lot of great quarterbacks have come through Texas, but I'm blanking on who would have been coming out at the exact same time because, like, he was – he would have been definitely way after Baker. So that wouldn't have lined up really well, but you, right. you get what I'm saying. You Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a score prediction? Um, Man, I feel like this is about to be like a 27, 24 type vibe. I, I think it's going to be like, a, a, I think both of these offenses are good, uh, but I think it's going to be about turnovers for sure. And it's, well, I don't think it'll be a defensive game. I don't think either of these coaches will kind of allow that to happen, but I do think like a defensive play will swing it. I was going like 24, 21, really similar. I'm, I, yes. I'm, and I'm predicting the chiefs to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. But again, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be, oh, like, I think either way is fine. I'm not involved in squares this year. And I, this is like the first year in a while that I haven't been. Because my buddy who usually does it, he's had like a million different work things going on. He usually is like the guy who puts it together three months in advance. Like, we'll go to a poker game at his house in October. And he's like, can I interest you in a square? <laughs> it's like, he's that guy. But it's it was awesome. Like, last year, I was, I think it was, it was like a, the Bengals had like a goal line play or something like that. And if Jamal, I, was it? It might have been Higgins. If Higgins had caught this ball at the end of the first quarter or something like that, I would have won like 700 bucks, which mm. would have been nice. You know, I don't hate money. Squares are fun. Squares are fun just because it's a lottery ticket. Just treat it like a sunk cost. That's the way to do it. Now I want to get involved in some squares. I was going to say next year, just give me on these squares. I've never done it. I think that's cool. You've never done squares before? Mm-mm. I used to do it in my household. My, my mom would do it in our household. We'd put like five bucks in or something like that. It's yeah, fun. I might just be missing out. Yeah, let's let's do it next year. Yeah. Okay. Face Saturday on South Podcast Facebook group. Set up some squares. I don't know if we can do that on there, but, but whatever. We can find a way. Yeah. Okay. A lot of great predictions here. Um, let's start with this one from Benny Hanna, who, if that's Benny Hanna's real name, props. I love irony. I do. Um, Benny says Jalen Hurts is ineffective to begin the game, allowing the Chiefs to control a comfortable lead at halftime. To the surprise of every fan watching and in attendance, Gardner Minshew starts the second half for the Eagles, and Philadelphia pulls out a thriller of a win in double overtime. Jalen just quits football if that happens, right? Just goes into coaching. Just go into coaching. Just, just coach quarterbacks. This this thing isn't for you. No, I will say I do think that Jalen struggling early and coming back to win the game is a pretty good vibe. I, I do think based on kind of how these two teams work that him kind of hitting a rhythm in the second half and like the Chiefs kind of being flat footed. I, I could really see that happen. Which quarterback will have the most amount of pregame painkillers? That's over under. Uh, I don't know the dosage on painkillers. Um, ask Brett Favre about that. Um, painkiller addiction is not something to joke about. I don't know why I slipped that in there. But that's like that. that's a one of those things where I'm like, all right, so we're just going to determine how healthy these guys are based on the first 10 minutes of the game. Probably. Right. Can Jalen hurts run? Is is Mahomes doing Mahomes things? And, and the person, the person who looks more mobile will probably be like, oh yeah, well that person's just going to win the game. 
there you go yeah no no no. i was like i was like yeah that, that makes a lot of sense is that like yeah the the every little micro like move that somebody makes when they're like banged up or whatever is always like that especially kind of like Mahomes, where it's like you know he'll have a dart like to start the game and it's like oh yeah all you haters you said Mahomes was injured and then like he'll like take a sack three plays later and it's like oh Mahomes clearly hobbled here yeah <laughs> Uh, this one from Russell Clark, Russell says, Jordan Davis tips a pass to himself for a game winning pick six as time expires here for that. That'd be awesome. There's only been, I had to look this up. There's only been one defensive touchdown scored by a former sec player in the super bowl. That's a random thing to know, isn't it? Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, there's not been like a ton of them. I guess there actually kind of have been because in these blowout games, there are like a pretty good amount of defensive touchdowns. So, yeah, it's pretty weird. 2015, it was, uh, oh, who was it? it? Was I think it was Malik Jackson? Danny Brock. Trevathan, perhaps? Uh, mm-hmm. Danny Trevathan, I think, forced it. And there was a, it was like a fumble. It was like a Cam Newton, like, yeah, sack yeah, in the end yeah, zone yeah. falls on it. So, like, not even the most exciting defensive touchdown, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sense. I think there's only been one among former SEC players ever. Jordan Davis, thick six. Thick that six, would be, man. Whew, that'd be a moment. I'd be here for that. That'd be yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, at that point, I mean, think about how all the Lourdes lads on the on the Eagles just picking up the small guys because there's so many lads. There's him, there's Fletcher Cox, there's Kelsey. Elaine Johnson is just a cyborg who's playing on like one tendon. It's just at the end of the game, them just parading him around on their shoulders. Jordan Davis, just carry him off the field. That's what we need. You talk about adrenaline, like, you know, like dealing with a natural disaster or something like that. Let's see enough adrenaline going for that Philly, that Philly sideline to be able to lift Jordan Davis to carry him off the field. That's the moment we need in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, Corey Puckett says Jalen Hurts chokes big time, resulting in an Eagles loss, causing all the Alabama fans to say that he is, quote, an Oklahoma quarterback. That's what we need for the halftime performance after Rihanna and everything. We just need 10 Alabama fans and 10 Oklahoma fans just to fight. And then I can never hear about this. Again. Just put them in a ring, put them in an octagon. Let's pick your best 10, whoever you got, get them ready. Now let's do it. I, there's a certain part of, it's not just as simple as saying Oklahoma is the only fan base that gets to feel any sort of pride for Jalen hurts. He won SEC offensive player of the year at Bama. Like, right. He led him to two national championship births. This, if you're applying the same logic to Joe Burrow as you do Jalen Hurts, I think you're looking at this without any sort of nuance. Like Joe Clyde, yeah, I saw him do that. Stupid. I'm not like, even being mean, but it's like he, he didn't start a game at Ohio State. Yeah. He had like a couple dozen pass attempts at Ohio State. Jalen was like a three year starter, basically. Like, two year starter. In yeah. and out. Like part, part, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so he got game action, you know? So, like, yeah, he obviously like played in national championships, very different than, yeah. But, Bama tweeting built by Bama with Jalen Hurts in a graphic that makes no mention whatsoever of Oklahoma. And I guess whatever if the, the background is crimson, I guess that qualifies as including Oklahoma, but not really. That to me is messed up. You're like, oh, built by Bama. So like the guy had to transfer because he wasn't going to start and then had his best season in college as a Heisman runner up at not your school. Right. Um, and Listen, then what's the demographics people? They get creative, man. Uh, yeah, I think we're both understanders of football and how this should work. It's like, hey, you guys can both feel proud. Just built by, like, what are you talking about? Anyway, yeah, the built by Bama stuff. Like, all right, if 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 Devonte Smith in a post game interview, like he did, like says, 
where we got this mentality from Bama, Jalen Hurts and I, like we're, we're pretty, you know, post game after a victory like this, if it's not a championship, we're kind of just like, yeah, whatever. If you say we got this from Bama built by Bama. Okay. That's fine. But the, the rest of it, you're kind of just like Bama, you got You got enough to claim. All right. You, you got enough that you could feel great about seeing Jalen Hurts have success, but at least include Oklahoma in the graphic. Goodness gracious, man. Smith is unfortunately so Louisiana. I feel myself starting to claim him every time I see him interviewed. I'm just like, <laughs> you just Jamar Chase was just in your class, wouldn't he, buddy? You just like the 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 hat with the card in it that's like burnt. I'm like, oh, yeah, that is my people, man. That is he's cool. I love him. Uh, Michael Dark says Philly wins and Jordan Davis parlays his MVP performance into a role on the next season of The Bachelor. <laughs> and then Laura Doyle says, does that show still exist? Because yikes. Uh, confession. This isn't a good confession. This is a bad confession. This is the first season of The Bachelor that I haven't watched in probably six years. Just can't do it. Just can't do it. This guy, the, the guy that they have for the lead, and usually when it's a bad lead, it's usually actually more fun because they're just really gullible and stupid. Like Colton, the former Mizzou football player from a couple years ago, who's just a moron, absolute idiot. Um, I understand there are six people who understand what I'm talking about, but basically I'm saying Jordan Davis is better than the bachelor and what it's become. So I, I think that would be a great segue for me because I would be glued to that television. If he was on there, I would watch every episode. I would love to see what challenges they would come up with for him. I watched, um, I watched all of F boy Island because of our boy, uh, Benedict that we always joke about that came up with Joey Malerno. That's just like hilarious. And I enjoyed the heck out of that show every time he was on camera. And when he wasn't, I didn't enjoy it because everybody else sucked, but he was just Sweet boy from Indiana, just trying to make the best out of life. And everybody was just like, that's the thing. If you get me a famous person, I know I'm in. I don't care. Seeing the side by side of Jordan Davis compared to normal women, their size would be incredible visuals. Unbelievable. That's actually we needed because you got to think about just standard Hollywood actress, you know, woman that's like, you know, let's say five, eight and maybe a hundred and. 50 pounds he's three of those <laughs> so it's like the people that are going after jordan it's like you gotta start at like six foot because you guys would look ridiculous if you're just like these tiny little girls that are usually on these shows for clout like you gotta you know instead of giving him a rose he gives him a pack of swedish fish <laughs> that's the content i'm here for i'm this is the best idea we've ever had honestly it's, shout out to michael dark because i would watch let's just do this regardless of what happens yeah this idea comes free the next one does not uh, Chris Brady, your boy, he says Jalen Hurts becomes the first Alabama quarterback since Joe Namath to win a Super Bowl. He's claiming him. Uh, right. Already the first Bama quarterback to win an NFL postseason game since Broadway Joe. He'll throw for two touchdowns and run for one on his way to Super Bowl MVP honors. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith have scores. Eagles win 38-17. First since Joe Namath. Gosh, that's right, isn't it? Man. For a while here, it was looking like it was looking like the SEC wasn't going to have quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, and there was a stretch of like five years where I think the SEC didn't have a quarterback in the Super Bowl. It was like post Cam Payton. After mm-hmm. that game, I want to say yeah, because um, up until 2021, yeah, no, that's not even right because 2021 we had Mahomes, Brady in that one. And then, oh, I guess having Burrow and, and Stafford like broke the streak. And now Hurts, I guess if you claim him, maybe you don't claim him, counts as a half SEC quarterback. 
Yeah, I'm like blown away that all these Alabama quarterbacks like started Super Bowls like 50 years ago. Like, did Stabler not? I, it looks like his Super Bowl was in 77, which would be after Namath. Plunkett um, was a starter, wasn't he? Ah, you're right. See, there you go. Yeah, he'd be the first to start. So how dare I? Yeah, I'm going to hear this from Brady right after because I'm sure, oh, of course, you doubt my stats. But no, I mean, I'm looking at it. It sounds crazy, right? Because it's like, yeah, I mean, our star was like earlier, like in the late, like Super early Bowl 60s. One, yeah. yeah, like Super Bowl one, two. And then you, so like for a minute, it was like, is Bama quarterback you? And then just, they all disappeared. Yep. But now it's coming back. So yeah. gosh, that was a nice little, nice little jab from Brady on that one. Goodness. <laughs> Um, uh, let's end with these last two, uh, Drew page says the Eagles lose and Chris Brady is sad. Okay. Yeah. That was direct shot. Um, and then let's go with, uh, Laura Doyle says USC over LSU by 15 plus. If you know, you know, I don't know. Do you know? Uh, I, I mean, I would think that would be. Oh, women's basketball. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, hey, I should care about that too, because that's LSU's best sport right now. Just baseball season's getting started. I'm really excited for the super team that LSU's building in baseball. But hey, Scott Woodward at it again. But yeah, really respect what they're doing. So yeah, that's uh yeah. Don Staley is a top four person in the SEC. I'd like to have a beer with. Oh, she's awesome. That's the thing. I like her more than Gamalki. I'll just be honest with you. She seems cool. Like that's the thing. Does she have a statue yet? They get she should. I think you got to wait to build the statue till they're done so that you don't want to miss any championships. Although adding a championship to a statue is a baller move. Like, oh, sorry. got to go bust out the chisel again. Yeah, build a statue now. Whatever. <laughs> Counterpoint, TCU gets Gary Patterson the statue. Gary Patterson, bye-bye. See you later. Go to a national championship a year later. So, hmm. Well, there would be do. nothing in the statue because they didn't win. So really. <laughs> but I'm saying you build the statue – and then you make the very rational move afterwards to right. get rid of your statue coach. And then you see what happens. Yeah, no, no, you're right. That's what you got to be. Look, how many statues does Bama have? I'm talking about Bama lot today. They have so many statues and they're all national champions. And I'm just like, I don't even remember this guy. <laughs> all right. I think you do statues living, all living all the time. Nothing yeah. can ever go wrong with that, right? No, it's uh, but you see to your point. Yeah, I think it's got to be after they retire. So their legacy, because I think the Patterson statue was before he kind of got like, Showing it was a very uh whatever they brought in, like Robert Dunder or whatever, and he was like, Okay, have a good day, and like closed him out of the door. That's like what TCU did to Patterson. Yeah, the uh I think the statue game has taken a hit post Joe Paterno statue and yeah. how messy and all those statue Peyton Manning's really, yeah. You gotta get the right statue guy. All right, yeah, ask Sam Pittman the statue guy. Ooh. That's that's a great point. Yes, talk to Sam Pittman, statue guy. Great advice. Um, hope everybody enjoys the Super Bowl, eats a ton of food, um, overanalyzes commercials, and just enjoys the crap out of some football. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at Sat Down South. Subscribe to our basketball newsletter. Go to bluechipgrit.com. Follow Blue Chip Grit. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.